Good afternoon and welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Happy Friday. Uh, we've had so much response uh, about New Zealand being a dour place to live. Uh, this is uh, Julia Hartley-Moore and Martin saying this, Martin Bosley, that we've got to come back. We've just got to come back to it uh, uh, before 4.30. But for now, though, first up, the long-planned Erebus Memorial in Auckland, Te Paranga Atata Sky Song, will no longer be built at the Parnell Rose Gardens due to damage caused by recent weather events in the city. The memorial would mark the country's largest peacetime loss of life when an Air New Zealand scenic flight over Antarctica crashed into the side of Mount Erebus, killing all 257 people on board in 1979. The site has long been contentious, contentious. some protesters camping out there, some Parnell residents not happy. Uh, well, the engineering report stated that three slips occurred along the cliff line within the park, so clearly untenable. With us is Richard Warm. He was the initiator of the National Erebus Memorial Project from early 2016, is an aviation chaplain and historian, former minister. Richard, kia ora. nice to have you here. Yes, kia ora, uh, Wallace. Firstly, Richard, have you been in touch with the families? How are they feeling uh, on this decision? Yes, I've been in communication with um, a number of the Erebus family members today. I, I think in one sense there's not a lot of surprise. There's been a, a wait for the geotech reports on that Parnell site. And uh, really from you know what the report says and the photographs, uh, the damage has been quite significant. So the memorial just... Uh, uh, can't uh, proceed there. Yes, because you had that uh, that actually uh, I was that quite beautiful uh, long cantilevered um, path going out over, and if you walk over it, then you get that clear view of the of the ocean. So it was it was it would have been quite untenable to have that particular design looking over that slope, huh? That's right, yeah, the design was excellent, the site was excellent really, despite a small number of local protesters, so it is a matter of regret after these, you know, six, seven years that we're facing a, uh, another delay, but I think families were, were particularly encouraged today by the uh, the government, uh, the, uh, the Ministry of Culture and Heritage and Ngāti uh, Whātua, you know, being absolutely clear on their resolve that the Erebus National Memorial will proceed uh, with some urgency. It's a case of finding another Auckland site. It's been quite a journey, hasn't Richard, and for someone who has been there from the start as you have. And who would have thought it would have taken this long to have a um, memorial of such significance, really, to us all. Yes, I think that's right. Well, it's when we started in early uh, 2016, yes, who would have thought? And I think, you know, we've learned lessons as a nation, the Canterbury uh, Earthquake Memorial, the, the Pike River situation, to better, uh, you know, minister and pastoral care to, to families of disasters. But the Erebus families have really often been treated very badly. And uh, I, I think it's really urgent that the ministry and the government, uh, you know, work very quickly to establish another suitable site. And family members said to us right from the start, it's been a common theme through that the memorial needed to be accessible, uh, attractive, not in a cemetery and not at Auckland International Airport. Okay, we've got a panel with us, Richard. Let's go around. They might have a thought or a comment on this. Uh, Julia? Yes. I, I'm just staggered at why has it taken so long to, to get anything. I mean, 
You're talking about from 2016, but what about before that? Why, why? Because other memorials don't take this long. I mean, it can't be forgotten. It won't be forgotten. But After all, I, remember, did... I remember it, you yes, know. Yes, yes. Um, uh, well, I, I think you're quite right. You know, pastorally, it was a huge anomaly that nothing was done for Erebus many, many years ago. So that's why we started even in 2016 to say by the 40th anniversary in 2019, you know, can there be a memorial where people can go and touch the names of their loved ones on a, on a special mm. memorial? Mm. Martin. Because, because um, a lot of those loved ones won't be around. Sorry. No, no, fair point, fair point. Yeah, Martin. Um, oh, kia ora, uh, Richard. Uh, Richard, I'm, I'm a little bit um, confused. You just said it can't be the airport and it can't be the cemetery. Yet there's already there's a, there's a memorial at the Waikamiti Cemetery and there's a there's an aircrew memorial already out at Mangere at the airport as well. Why can't, why couldn't it be out there in either, either well, of those the, two places? The, the, the families uh, um, were polled very carefully on the characteristics of the design and where it should be. And it became fairly um, evident from that analysis that there was not a desire for the memorial to be at the airport. I mean, some people might think, well, that's where the aircraft took off. But I think the associations, I mean, I'm only presupposing here the associations with the airline, with the airport was not uh, what they wanted. And when you think about the Canterbury earthquake memorial, it's in a very picturesque site right by the the Avon River. Mm-hmm. Right, mm. yes. Uh, just picking up on Julia Hartley-Moore's uh, um, uh, 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 question as well, you know, the, you have called for some pastoral urgency around the issue. Do you want to explain that a bit, Richard? Well, I think, um, you know, the accident is uh, coming up to uh, 40, it'll be 45 years, the end of 2024. So we have a number of surviving spouses and many siblings who were directly, you know, affected in such a horrific way in 1979, let alone children and grandchildren and, and, you know, it's a massive number of people. Um, We've already lost some key people who were very involved, so that's just because of the the seven-year process with this national memorial. And I think there is an urgency that we're not really wanting to wait another four or five years. I mean, I would have thought by yeah. the 45th anniversary in November 2024, it should be ready for opening at, a, at another suitable site. Oh, gosh. Oh, right. So that's quite an important time frame, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm. In terms of, Richard, just remind, while well, you're here, how did you, you're an aviation chaplain, how did you become involved uh, in this, well, uh, this I've, I've story? I've to commemorate um, many air accidents in New Zealand, especially airliner accidents. So there were nine uh, airliners yep. from 1938 to 1963 that crashed in New Zealand, a total of 72 New Zealanders who died. And mm. I worked with other historians to ensure there were plaques and memorials with the names of those people because they were the, the human cost of the airline development in New Zealand. And, um, you know, Erebus, of course, is in a category by its by itself, a, a controversial air accident, but... Um, you know, the fourth worst accident and aviation accident in the world. It's really important there's a proper memorial, mm. um, you know, available for all New Zealanders and, and the families. Yeah. Mm. So as uh, Deputy Mayor Desley Simpson said on Facebook, uh, the big question is now, if not there, where yeah. uh, and I don't know. Um, I mean, this is I don't know if you've canvassed the families at all, Richard. I mean, they'll want to speak perhaps to this, or uh, has there ever been any a plan B site at all, or 
or what? I mean, a few people are texting through their ideas. Yeah, look, uh, uh, short answer is no. So I, I think, you know, the, uh, the Ministry will work with Auckland Council and Ngāti Whātua, who have been, you know, tremendously supportive of the Erebus families. It's been uh, one of the special uh, experiences of this, these last few years on a site. But, see, the crew came from Auckland. Most of the passengers on, on the aircraft came from the Upper North Island and Auckland City. So Auckland's always been the the best site and that relates to its accessibility and for the international um, passengers are on the flight too so I'm you know I'm hopeful along with families I'm sure that there must be another site in Auckland that will fulfill the criteria that the families are very carefully outlined Mm, you've got us all thinking, Richard, where that uh, <laughs> might be. It might be. <laughs> you've got us all thinking. Yeah. Um, but for now, hi, lovely to have you on the program. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Wallace. That's Richard Waugh there, the initiator of the National Erebus Memorial Project. Uh, any ideas? Um, someone says here, what about uh, the Auckland Botanical Gardens? Uh, that's out near Monaco. It's a beautiful, beautiful mm. um, piece of space uh, in Tamaki Makoto. Any ideas? Any thoughts on that? Uh, Julia, you're Auckland based. I know I'm Auckland based, but I haven't really had any, I haven't thought about it before. No. I'd need a bit yeah. of time to come up, but I'm sure there's a beautiful, but I, I kind of get what they're saying where they don't want it at the airport and they don't want it in a cemetery because that's sort of obvious, if you like. It's, yep. I think it needs to be somewhere pretty, somewhere somewhere pretty. Well, the yeah. Parnell Roads Garden certainly fulfilled that uh, role, but it was uh, fairly controversial. In fact, Dame Nida Glavish, I'm just reading a press release here, who has led a large group of peaceful protectors opposing the proposed site. Uh, Dame Glavish reacted to the news with relief mm. after the 180-degree turnaround uh, by the Crown Agency and has repeatedly challenged the Ministry for acting as uh, kaitiaki of culture and heritage, given the risk to Teha, the ancient Pahutukawa tree there. It's 18 past four. The panel are RNZ National. And goodness gracious me, if Julia and Martin haven't sort of kicked it, um, <laughs> kicked it to the moon with their assertions uh, that um, we're all down in the dumps compared to Australia. Um, uh, we, we have, we've got to come back to that before 4.30 um, because we want to sort of um, um, tease that idea out a little bit. Anyway, to this very interesting discussion, this a genetic test can help people treat and prevent diseases early. Sounds like a positive thing, but in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we're at risk of genetic discrimination. Insurance companies might deny applications or increase premiums depending on the genetic test results, which can lead to people not getting tested, even though it may medically help them and their families. Co-author of a new study looking into genetic discrimination in New Zealand is Dr Jane Tiller from Australia's Monash University. Dr Tiller, welcome. Thank you for having me. Very interesting discussion here. What did the survey find is genetic discrimination common in this country, New Zealand? So the survey that we uh, published today was actually with health professionals in New Zealand who are helping families and talking to people about genetic testing. So these are um, often genetic counsellors or clinical geneticists, people in genetic services 
who are talking to people who are deciding whether to have a genetic test. And we surveyed those people and also some other health professionals who um, organise genetic testing and asked them what's happening, how they feel about this and what they see for patients. And they told us that uh, they hear many stories of people who either get their cover denied, who get life insurance, um, their premiums are significantly increased, or who tell them about family members who don't want to be tested because they're worried about these insurance implications. Give us give us an example of genetic discrimination. Uh, one might have, what, a rare disorder? Give us a, give us a type of example. Hmm. Yeah, so one of the most common gene changes that people would know about might be the BRCA gene change. So uh, Angelina Jolie famously had this gene change and, and wrote about it. Uh, it increases the hmm. risk for a woman of breast cancer to about 70% in her lifetime, risk of ovarian cancer to up to 40%. And so if someone knows that they have this gene change, there are things they can do. Uh, So she decided to remove her breast and had what's called a double mastectomy. Um, And, of course, removing your breast altogether really reduces your breast cancer risk down to almost zero. But people can also go into intensive screening, have their breast checked more often so that the cancer can be caught early. So this kind of information really saves people's lives where they can either catch cancer or heart disease early or they can treat it. Um, or they could prevent it altogether. Ah, I see. Okay. So before we go to our panellists, just am I, I'm clear, I'm clear in th- saying that in Australia, you have some protections against gen- genetic discrimination in insurance when you want to get insurance, but here in New Zealand, no protections at all. Yeah, so in Australia, um, we're still working on the Australian position. It's not ideal. Uh, We have uh, protection in health insurance and there are some um, industry protections in life insurance. Unfortunately, we don't have legislation yet. Uh, But uh, certainly in New Zealand, the situation is even more dire. There is no real protection um, for life or health insurers. Um, to prevent them from using this information. Mm, interesting discuss- Interesting topic, Julia Hartley-Moore. What's your questions or thoughts on this? Well, I don't, I mean, seriously, I don't think an insurance company can have that sort of information because, look, they, they'll do everything they can not to pay out in the best of times. I just think that that, that has got to be changed. Um, as for genetic testing, I think, yes, it, it, for some people, it's got to be really good. It can help you find out if you've got these genes that can cause various things. For myself, um, I don't really want to know. Um, I, I test what I can regularly, and I think as long as I do that, that's me doing as much as I can. Um, I just don't want to know that I'm probably more likely than not going to get something. And oops, sorry. And then I might be thinking about that too much. Stay but as there. for the insurance companies, yeah. no. Okay, stay there, Jane. Let's bring in uh, Martin. And we'll come back to you. Uh, mm. Thank you, Kia ora, uh, Jane. Um, yeah, I just think I can't believe that there's um, that there is no legislation wrapped around this yet here in New Zealand on this. Um, you know, as, as Julia just said, insurance, insurance companies will do whatever they can to avoid paying out and you know anyway and this just seems to be another way of, of, of I guess of minimizing the risk which you already pay a fairly high premium for um, you, and you said in Australia there's, there's, there's just a moratorium on it at the moment is that right how far through is that legislation looking yeah, to so be brought a, in? There's a moratorium in Australia for life insurance um, life insurers don't ask for genetic test results for applications that are under $500,000 uh, so 
this is a self-regulated moratorium. There's no um, government involvement or oversight. And obviously many people, especially with cost of living and mortgages at the moment, need a lot more than $500,000 of cover. Uh, So we're doing research in Australia as as well about the limitations of that moratorium and the need for legislation um, and certainly have extended that research into New Zealand um, to say, look, New Zealand is even further behind Many countries around the world have banned this altogether. They've mm. introduced legislation have or they? other agreements to ban it. Um, but Australia and especially New Zealand are quite behind the rest of the world in that, actually. It does seem to me, just echoing Julia, quite something just... for the insurance companies yeah. to have this type of information. In fact, it's almost... Well, it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, here's a text. My sibling had cancer. Okay, now. I went to support at the appointment with the geneticist who told me it was a good idea for me to get health insurance before my sibling's results came back. Uh, I, I did. Glad I did, as I could genuinely deny knowledge of genetic cancer in the family. Phew. What, finally, Dr. Tiller, do we need to do here in New Zealand to stop this discrimination? Mm, So in my view, what's really needed is widespread legislative reform, and that's uh, also what we are um, working on in Australia. There have been some industry-led agreements or or moratoriums that have been put in place, and that's a step in the right direction, but really what's needed is for the government to put something in place that's a really comprehensive consumer protection Um, People in New Zealand who are concerned about this should know that there is a group um, against genomic discrimination, Aotearoa, um, which is uh, a a number of different professionals and uh, people across New Zealand who are concerned about this, and they are having preliminary discussions with Ministry of Health um, and other departments. So if people in New Zealand are concerned about this, they should definitely bring this to their local member. I know people always say write to your member, but it really will make a difference if if a lot of... New Zealanders start writing to their local members about this, it will really get some traction and some attention and it's worth doing. I'm I'm sure that we haven't heard the last of this issue, Dr Tiller. Thank you for being with us here in New Zealand. Thanks so much. That is Dr Jane Tiller from Monash University in Australia. Um, Insurance companies might deny applications or increase premiums depending on your genetic test results. So your thoughts on that? (coughs) just comes back to what I was saying whilst we at the beginning. Like we just feel like we're out of step at the moment with the rest of the world, you know? Well, on that, okay. Gosh, you're <laughs> being on about it, aren't you, today, Alan? You know, happy Friday to you, yeah, mate. I know, I know, I do feel like, oh, my God, what, I need to take the happy part. I mean, both I need, actually, of you, can we, honestly, can we go straight to Tramadol? That's what I feel like I might need, actually. Um, oh, well, don't um, do that. Don't do that. And uh, wrong tonally. Thank you, Martin. Uh, but I have to bring this up because we've had so much response um, in terms of what you both said. Um, would you support a national lockdown day? A day to honour the lives New Zealand saved due to our early response. That's what Nicholas Agar, a professor uh, of ethics, suggested in Newsroom to acknowledge the tireless work our health professionals did. Remember this? Non-essential businesses in New Zealand must now close. All bars, restaurants, cafes, cinemas... Pools, museums, libraries, playgrounds, any other place where the public congregate must close their face-to-face function. Ooh, just the chills of uh, actually getting the chills, actually listening to that uh, uh, on the radio and going, 
Oh my goodness me, what's going to happen? But um, segueing into what you both think about New Zealand, it's summed up in this uh, in this text here of so many. I'm with your panel today, Wallace. New Zealand is a depressing place, and your suggestion of having a national lockdown day <laughs> is a perfect example of how New Zealanders can't get out of their way and move on to a more joyous existence. I'm going to play... 10 seconds of the national anthem to get you both in the mood of how beautiful this country is. Here we go. God, could you have found a worse version? Keep going, Brad. Luckily, I can't hear a thing. Oh, dear Lord. This is that is, your power ballad for Friday? This, <laughs> this is God's own. This is God's own. And you've come on Friday's panel simply to trash, trash no, it. No, that's you've trashed not what I was my show no. by saying, by saying, this country sucks. But guess no. what? But guess what? My listeners agree with you. Exactly right. <laughs> let's get let's get back to National Sourdough Day. Maggie know? says Dower <laughs> oh, is yes. the best description I've heard for New Zealand ages. Your, your panel is spot on. Yeah. I can't wait to get out and go somewhere positive. Mm. Um, sadly, see, Wallace, sorry, see? Wallace. Sadly, yeah. I have to agree with your panelists about New Zealand. Our culture has become very down and negative, not at all aspirational. And I would encourage my children to look at setting sights and moving to a more energetic mm. and aspirational country that does not have a big chip on its shoulder. And for once, I'm going to look outward and say, I can't believe I have listeners like you who are just so down on this absolutely beautiful, positive, and marvellous country. Oh, God, God defend us. God defend New Zealand, the best country in the world, and shame on you both, as a single, honestly. As a single tear rolls down my cheek. Thank you, Wallace. <laughs> why, are you st- why are you both still living here, Julia? <laughs> Aren't you going to cut to news or something? Yes. No, no, no. Answer, answer the question. So, right. um, Julie, you go what first. Was it? You go first. No, what, no, what, no, what, no, 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 no. You started this. No, you no, started this. Martin, Martin, why, why, why are you still living here, mate? I st- I actually, well, I still love it here, Wallace. And I, st- I mean, I still, I still love my life, but I just felt that we are missing something that we used to have. Right? We used, you know, we used to be in there. Like we what? were boots and all, and that has gone, and we need to get it back. We need to find our energy from somewhere, pick ourselves up and get out there and get on with it again. That's what I was saying. Julia? Couldn't, say, couldn't have said it better myself. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you. True. Unbelievable. That's what, no. <laughs> uh, just unbelievable. You're on the panel on RNZ National. If you want something positive, uh, you'll hear it in one minute's time when we have Power Battle Friday. And today, it's really special. Time for headlines.